0: But God has a sense of humor. We know this because of the giraffe. You just look at this beautiful creature and you remember the uh, just the majesty and glory of our creative God. If you were going to create an animal, would you create this? <laughs> it's really a, a marvel, and in, in some sense, I, I wish I had the facts on it to uh, to bring to your attention the the great marvel that the giraffe is in disproving evolution if I'm not mistaken when a, a uh, an animal like this when a, when a giraffe lowers its head it has to temporarily cut the blood off the blood flow off to its uh, brain there's some some uh, deal like this it, you could easily google it and look at just evolution giraffe blood and brain or something like that and you would read the the uh, the facts on it but it basically proves that evolution could not have worked because of the design of the giraffe anyway we didn't come to talk about evolution we came to talk about giraffes giving birth and i don't know if you remember this is a giraffe named crystal the mother Several years ago, back when the Dallas Zoo celebrated the birth of the first baby giraffe in years that had been born there at the Dallas Zoo. And this is the baby giraffe. Now, of course, out in the wild, these beautiful creatures are all the more beautiful. And it reminds me of a, um, a book. Gary Richmond has a book called A View from the Zoo. What a great title. And he talks about the birth of a giraffe, which, honestly, I've never seen, but as he describes it, it's pretty uh, amazing. He says that the first thing to to come out are the baby's front hooves and head, and then in a few minutes, the rest of the calf basically falls 10 feet. So the mother gives birth while standing. This calf falls 10 feet and thud, hits the ground, and then uh, uh, just wham, I mean, welcome to the world. And then within seconds, it rolls upright with its legs underneath it, and it looks around at the world around it. And then the, the mother giraffe lowers her head just long enough to look back and position herself over the baby, lifts her long, lanky leg, and then kicks the baby until it, it sprawls head over heels you know, across the field. Why in the world does she do this? And then it... And she's trying to encourage it to get up. And then when it doesn't get up, she kicks it again and again and again. And finally, this poor little thing gets to its feet. And success! It has stood up. And the mother kicks it and knocks it down so that it learns how to get up. Now, this doesn't seem like something that we would do to our children, but the giraffe does this because she is teaching from the moment of birth, she wants this little baby giraffe to learn how to get up quickly. Because in the wild, if uh, a baby giraffe doesn't get up, it is, uh, it is food for hungry hyenas. So what the mother giraffe does to us, or the ignorant bystander, may seem to be cruel, Uh, The fact, in fact, the baby probably is wondering why the mother is doing this, too. (laughs) But uh, without this episode, this very unusual episode, the baby would ultimately be destroyed. And so what the giraffe does by instinct, God allows in our lives by design. And that brings us to Lazarus. So let's look at John chapter 11, a very familiar story But I hope that we'll be able to look at some new insights on it that are uh, perhaps a a little different than you've thought about before, and perhaps will be encouraging to you as you wonder why in the world our great Grand Heavenly Father occasionally will kick us across the yard. Uh, The one who is supposed to be loving seems to be the one who is the most cruel If ever there seemed an unreasonable time in the Bible, it was John chapter 11. Long chapter, we're only going to read the first 44 verses, so let's get right into it and and talk about how it applies to our lives. So, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. Well, once again, let's look at a couple of photos. This is, we will leave the, the uh, giraffe, and we'll look at Israel. So just to get your bearings, here is Israel, and then we're going to focus down here at the top of the Dead Sea area. Let me uh, enlarge my cursor a little bit here. All right, so we're going to focus at the top of the Dead Sea here, and so here's the top of the Dead Sea, and Jesus is over here in this area, in the area beyond the Jordan, probably the area of Perea, and if you notice, so that you can't, I'm not sharing. Well, that's not very nice. How's, how's that? <laughs> Sorry about that. Thanks for jumping in and, and uh, telling me. Um, Okay, so let's go back again. Here's here's Israel as itself, and we're going to look at the top of the Dead Sea, which is right here, and here's the top of the Dead Sea. Jesus is over here in Perea, and you can't really see the Jordan River, but it's this line right here. So Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan River, and Jerusalem and Bethany are right here together. If you uh, look at this lovely picture, this aerial picture of Jerusalem, you can see Jerusalem here, the Temple Mount, and so we're looking to the west, and this is the Mount of Olives right here to the east of Jerusalem, and on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives right here at the bottom right is Bethany. So this is the area of Bethany, and the scripture tells us, in fact John 11 tells us, that Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. And it's not necessarily two miles as the crow flies, but rather as the crow walks. You'd have to walk up in this direction and then down the Kidron Valley and into the city here. But this is the area where uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. All right. So, back to John 11. Bethany... Uh, means house of figs, or uh, literally, it could also be translated house of affliction, which is sort of an ironic name when you think about the fact that uh, what Mary and Martha and Lazarus were having to undergo, house of affliction. Jesus isn't told how sick Lazarus is. He isn't even asked to help. Notice the implication is simply there. Mary and Martha send a note to Jesus, a message to Jesus. And Mary and Martha buried Lazarus, as we'll see, in a cave. They uh, hosted the disciples as they came to their home often, and so we could assume very easily that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were of some means. You didn't bury somebody in a cave if, unless you had the money to do it, because it was it cost a lot to uh, to dig. A cave, and to uh, to dig the the hole, and then to put someone in there. Like uh, Joseph of Arimathea had the tomb built for himself, but he uh, he gave it to Jesus, or he gave it for Jesus to to be used by him. And of course, Joseph was a very wealthy man. And so I say all that to say, if Mary and Martha wanted to send an urgent message to Jesus, they probably would not have sent it. Um, you know, by somebody walking. They probably would have put somebody on horseback. Someone who could get the message quickly, find Jesus wherever he was, and then also return, hopefully with Christ, uh, in, in the same speedy manner. The uh, The word that's used here for uh, the one whom you love, is the wor- word for love is phileo. Uh, you probably know there are several words, uh, actually four words, in the Greek language, Greek New Testament, that are used for love. And the most common one that we are aware of is the word agape. But that's not the one that's used here. The one, the word that's used here is phileo. And it's a word that means friendship. It's a word of emotion. It's a, It's a happy-feeling love. It's the potluck-lunch love. It's the it's why you come to church, love, to see other people. It's, it's the joy of fellowship and just being with somebody that you like. And so the one whom you love, in other words, your good friend, is what they're saying. Your good friend is sick. And Jesus, the implication is that Jesus would come and heal him. And Christ's response is wonderful. I mean, it's absolutely what Mary and Martha would have wanted to hear. This sickness is not to end in death. Wonderful. That's exactly why we came to you. We knew you'd, you'd know what to do, Christ. And so the good news comes back to Mary and Martha. Jesus said, This is not going to end in death. Oh, wow. Great. And then time passes. And notice verse 5. The last verse we read there says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now this word for love is a different word. This is the word agape or agapo. Is the verb. He uh, he loved them not in a feel-good love in verse five, but in a sacrificial love, in a love of decision, in a love that that chooses what's best because of of uh, of, of a choice, of a hard decision, of self-sacrifice. So. The phileo love of feel good, love you, great to be with you, and the love of agape is two different types of love. And interesting, John uses both of those here in these these verses. The one whom you love, the one whom you love to be around, Jesus is sick. Now Jesus sacrificially loved the siblings. That's why we're told in verse 6, look at the next verse, so... Or you might have, therefore, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That word, so, or the older uh, New American Standard, uh, says, therefore, you might have something that says, therefore, but there should be a connection there between Jesus sacrificially loved them, therefore, he delayed. That's the point. Because he loved them, he didn't go immediately. Now for us that seems absolutely contradictory. If it were us, we would have hopped on that horse and sent the messenger walking home. Jesus, if we were Jesus, we'd have said, Look, I'll take this message myself, I'll go heal Lazarus, look at his split. But he didn't do that. Christ sent the message back, this is not going to end in death. And then Jesus uh, took his time, he took his own sweet time getting there. He hung around for two more days, no big hurry, (laughs) obviously not in a hurry. And as we're going to see, Lazarus dies in the meantime. So here's a lesson as a principle from the text. It's an observation that um, is really important. It's urgent, you might say, for us to apply because we can apply it in our lives today. And it's simply this, God's painful delays stem from His immense love for us. God's painful delays stem from His immense love for us. We see that right in the text. We see that in the grammar of the text. Jesus sacrificially loved them, therefore He delayed. That is true in our lives as well. We don't like that. I mean, we don't like that in the short term, but we love it in the long term. And God loves us enough to love us long term, not just immediate. It doesn't feel like love to delay. You know, if uh, all the needs that we expressed in our prayer time and share time and all the things that we, um, that we go to the doctor for, you know, if we went to the doctor and the doctor had a way to heal us. And the doctor said, you know what? I've got a way to heal you. In fact, it's right here in the drawer. But uh, I tell you what, why don't you come back next week? We would think, you are the wrong doctor. I, need, I am not here to come back next week. I'm here now. Heal me. Give me what's ever in your drawer. And that's how we often feel with the Lord, isn't it? We don't, uh, we don't pray to God and ask Him to heal us next week. We ask him to heal us immediately. Well, to the the natural man, all pain reflects God's lack of power. Think about that. But God is not a, a sadist. We've got to know that our sovereign God is going to choose the best of all possible options. And fortunately, the scripture gives us accounts of real people just like you and me, who hurt, just like you and I do, and who question God for his apparently turning a deaf ear to their, to their cries. You just read the Psalms. One of the greatest things about the Psalms is it gives us, gives us somebody to identify with. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. How long, O oh Lord, are you going to forget me? Forever? This is how we feel. Why this delay? But uh, of course, ultimately, God shows us that he loves us enough to to allow that which is going to benefit us far beyond what immediate relief would ever give us. And this is what we see in the lives of Mary and Martha. They ask Jesus for help, Jesus delays, because he wants to give them something greater than their request. And boy, this is such a great truth in our lives as well, isn't it? that when God delays, it's so often because He wants us wants to give us more than we're asking for. We're asking for a dinner mint, and God wants to give us filet mignon. Well, look at verse 7, and let's uh, continue on. Then after this, He said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to Him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. <laughs> Don't you just love Jesus' answers sometimes? You just want to shake your head and go, Huh? Huh? This It's like his answer has nothing to do with what I asked. But remember, we're just reading John 11. There's actually a whole book that, that is a context of this. And um, incidentally, whenever you're trying to figure something out, you're just reading something in your daily quiet time and you haven't read the whole book of John. But just remember that when you're trying to interpret something, a concordance is a great friend to help you be able to cross-reference different things. And you start by looking at the context of the paragraph, and then you widen that to the to the chapter, and then you widen that to the book itself, and then you let the context continue to get broader and broader until you, you find the answer that you're looking for. So you want to compare the, the paragraph, the chapter, the book, the author. Has the author written more than one book? How does he use this phrase elsewhere? And then ultimately, the whole Bible is your context for any one verse. But thankfully, we don't have to go very far to, uh, to get some help on this verse. Keep your finger there in John 11 and turn back two chapters to John chapter 9, and look at Jesus' words there in verse 4. John 9, verse 4, Christ says, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. In other words, back in John 11, Jesus is telling them, don't worry, it's not night yet, meaning it's not time for me to die yet. Until then, we have work to do. And uh, we, are, we, are not, uh, uh, we are not victims of circumstances. We are following the leading of our sovereign God. And our sovereign God has told us, not time yet for me to die. So when they say, hey, the the, the Jews were seeking to stone you, you're going to go there again? Jesus is basically answering, it's not time for me to die yet. Don't worry about it. Let's go. We've got work to do. What was the work to do? Well, back in John 11, verse 11, this he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, "Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover." Now when Jesus had spoken, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, "Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him." Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, "Let us also go so that we may die with him." Oh, a great statement there from Thomas. You know, doubting Thomas always gets a bad rap. You know, why didn't, this, why didn't this weak disciple believe in Jesus? Well, look at those words. Here you got doubting Thomas saying, look, let's go die with him. Um, Thomas had, had courage. And remember, Jesus had told the sisters that the sickness would not end in death. Don't forget that. And then we're told Lazarus died. So, how do you think Mary and Martha are feeling about this time? Didn't I mean they're they're calling that messenger back and saying, "Tell us again what Jesus said." Jesus said, "This is not going to end in death." Um, Lazarus died. So, what did he mean by what he said? Well, continue verse seventeen. So, when Jesus came, he found that he had been already dead; he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. As Martha reaches Christ, um, what she and her sister had been talking about over the last few days becomes obvious. Her first words to Jesus reveal her expectations of Jesus and, frankly, her shattered expectations of Jesus. Verse 21, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Boy, that is a great few verses, isn't it? The Old Testament, in several key places, gives the clear promise, the clear prophecy that believers will rise again from the dead to enter into the kingdom of God. One of the best places is the last few verses of Daniel. We won't turn there, but uh, you might jot down in the margin Look at the last, uh, the last few verses of the book of Daniel, where, where uh, God tells Daniel, go your way, Daniel, and then you will die and rise again to get your reward in the last days. So the concept of resurrection isn't something the New Testament invented. This was the expectation um, all the way back from the Old Testament. In fact, remember when we looked at the life of Abraham, even Abraham anticipated resurrection And therefore, he was able to die with God's promises yet unfulfilled because he knew that resurrection would be the answer to those. And and that's amazing because Abraham didn't even have any Bible yet to cling those, to hang those hopes on. Uh, Martha had the whole Old Testament and you and I have the whole of God's word. So we have have so much uh, hope because of the scriptures. Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? I love that question because Jesus already knew the answer. Jesus knew Martha believed it, but Jesus wanted to hear Martha say it, and frankly, Martha probably needed to hear Martha say it. Sometimes when we are grieving, or when we are in a place of uh, of great pain or confusion, it helps for us to verbally say out loud the truth of the Scripture, to, to uh, basically remind ourselves what we believe. Yes, I believe (laughs) you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And that phrase, he who comes into the world, implies that Jesus existed before his birth. I mean, Martha has a theology of Jesus that is amazing. And uh, we can have that same encouragement, that same uh, practice when we're struggling. Rehearse the truth that you know. Let that be a part of what you say out loud to uh, to encourage you until the Lord brings the resurrection that we need. So let's uh, let's continue. But I just I don't know. Maybe a, another principle, or maybe a, just a little sidebar note here is that um, even though the Bible gives us a lot of information, the Bible gives us everything that we need to know. It doesn't tell us everything we want to know. We know that it will all work out, no doubt. What we don't know is how it's going to work out. And that's one reason we're called to live by faith. And I think this is what Martha is saying here. She goes, Lord, I know you've got it all, all under control. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do. Even now, God will, ask, God will do for you whatever you ask. Martha's basically saying, Lord, it's all in your hands. I don't get it, but here's one thing I do know. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You are eternal. What a great, great place to be. Well, verse 28, when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, and when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. And was troubled, and said, "Where have you laid him? They said to him, "Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. You know, you only have to look at these few verses here um, whenever you feel like God is a cruel, heartless, sovereign God who is using people like puppets for his grand purposes. You only have to read these verses here to see that is not the case. Not only is God not merely a a cold sovereign uh, working His will in our lives, but our, our Heavenly Father, through the example of His Son, Jesus, is one that weeps with us. And here's the irony of that. Jesus knew what He was about to do. Jesus knew that In about five minutes, Mary's whole outlook is going to change. But yet, in that moment, Mary was hurting. And notice that what Mary said was, she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Those are the exact words that Martha said. Mary and Martha had been saying this to each other. And when they saw Jesus, this was the first thing both of them said to him. This was what they expected. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Lord, you showed up late to the funeral. You showed up late. You should have been here and uh, uh, prevented the funeral to begin with. Well, they ask him, uh, he asks them, where have you laid him? And they say, Lord, come and see. If you uh, ever get a chance to go to Israel it's probably pretty rare that you would get to go to Bethany. Most tour buses drive right by it. In fact, if you see this road here off on the right, this is uh, one of the roads that, uh, that go through this area. And um, you can't really see, it's not terribly easy to see from this picture, but off on the far right is a, a much easier road up into Jerusalem from the east. And you see Bethany off on the left as you're driving up to Jerusalem but you don't get to go there. Most tours uh don't go to Bethany, which is sort of a shame. But if you were to go to Bethany, you would see this church that is built over the traditional house, the traditional location of the house, I should say, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And on the other side of the church, you've got this wall with these beautiful mosaics of the siblings. This one uh, says Mary. This obviously is Lazarus. This says Martha. And if you walk up the street, not far at all, I mean, you could throw a football and uh, you would hit this area right here, which is Lazarus's tomb. It's up the hill a little bit. And the uh, the doorways here, this wasn't the original entrance. The original entrance was probably a back around on the other side, but uh When the Ottomans came in about 500 years ago, they uh, built a mosque over that area, and so now it's not accessible anymore for Christian pilgrims. And so, about 500 years, for the last 500 years, um, this has been the entrance to the the tomb. So, it's not the original, but it's probably, very likely, uh, was the tomb of Lazarus. And when you walk in this door, you go down these really steep steps And then these steps lead down, I'd say, probably 30 feet to this area here. So here's the steps as they come down and they wind around. And this big area here that I'm uh, sitting in is called the antechamber. It's the chamber right outside the tomb. And then you crawl through this little hole here and uh, the tomb, the original tomb, very well could be in this area right here. they've given you this hole so that if you don't want to crawl through this little space, which is pretty tough to do, you can just walk around here and look in the hole and and see it. But uh, this tradition is very old, and uh, there's no reason to doubt it that this is the location of lazarus's uh, of Lazarus's tomb. So let's look at the grand finale here. This is wonderful. Verse thirty six. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them also said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Now before we read uh, the grand climax here, let's pause and look at these this uh, last verse, because it's important. Um Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man also from dying? Answer, of course he could have. But their assumption is that he should have. And if he could have, he would have. Because that's how we operate. If we've got the power, we're going to use the power, we're going to fix the problem. The thing is, Jesus is looking on a level that's far bigger than Lazarus' death right here and now. Or Lazarus's sickness, right here and now. Jesus saw what Lazarus's death would produce. Now we could we could take Lazarus's death off the page for a second and put a blank there, and you and I can insert in that blank whatever it is we're struggling with, whatever seems a situation that is as permanent, as unchangeable as death in our lives think about that in your life for a second what is it that that maybe maybe it is a death maybe it is a, a, the death of someone maybe it's a physical problem maybe it's a strained relationship whatever it is just in the same way that Jesus saw that Lazarus's death would produce that was Jesus's goal it wasn't to prevent Lazarus's death Jesus was looking at what Lazarus's death Would accomplish. It was a bigger view than this small view. And by Jesus taking that view, he challenges us to have that perspective as well, to look bigger. Of course, our problem is we don't know what it's going to produce. We don't know what the strained relationship or the sickness or the death or whatever it is that we're struggling with, we don't have God's perspective on that. But here's one thing we do know. God has a perspective on that, and we know that He does. And in the meantime, Jesus weeps with us. He's not a cold, heartless sovereign that just says, "Hey, believe in me," but He comes alongside, just like Christ did, and uh, and comforts. Okay. Well, verse thirty-eight. Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Don't you love Martha, ever the practical person? The old King James says it the best way. (laughs) Don't you love, this is like, Lord, he stinketh. Oh, I just love that. You want to say that at family reunions sometimes. Jesus' reply refers back to the message that he sent initially. This is not going to end in death. In other words, I'm going to do something that's going to take care of the death problem as well. But it's going to end in the glory of God, or glorify the Son of God. And He asked Martha if uh, if she believed this, and she said that he believed he was the Son of God, and now Jesus is about to, to give himself glory by this great action. Verse 41, They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. I love Jesus' command. In the Greek, it's very succinct. It's just three words. Lazarus, here, out is what the Greek says. And uh, old Saint Augustine said that if Jesus hadn't used Lazarus' names, all of the graves would be opened. (laughs) If Jesus had just said, here, out, then they would have all come out. But it's also wonderful, too, because um, it gives us a great picture of salvation. I don't think this is John's original intent, but what is true of this is also true of salvation. It, It can be an observation we can simply make. And that is, how in the world did Lazarus even hear Jesus? He was dead. There was no ability on Lazarus's part even to hear in order to obey, to come out. So Jesus first had to give Lazarus the ability to hear. Then Lazarus could obey and come out. Think about salvation. It's exactly the same thing. We're not going to. We're not going to accept the gospel just when we hear the gospel unless Jesus quickens our ears, unless the Holy Spirit opens our ears and gives us an ability to see the gospel clearly. And anyone who sees the gospel clearly is going to believe it. It is a compelling truth that you are in a place in your life because of your sin that separates you from God and God has paid for that sin by Jesus dying on the cross. All you got to do is believe it, and your sins are paid for. Who wouldn't accept that? Well, the people who don't see it, and the people who, who don't understand it. And so unless Jesus, the Lord, first removes those blinders, anybody who who then has the blinders removed will believe. The statement that Jesus made initially um, sort of seems insensitive when he told the disciples, "I'm glad I was not there when Lazarus died. I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad that it happened." Hmm. That's that's a tough uh, that's a tough few verses to read without the context around it. And so when we are In a place like that, we've got to put this context around it. We have to remember that Jesus was looking toward the goal of our pain. He wasn't just looking at the pain. He was looking for what it would produce. I saw some years ago a a letter that came from the Health and Human Services to a resident that lived in Greenville, South Carolina, or Greenville County, and this was the letter. It said, your food stamps will be stopped, effective March 1992, because we received notice that you passed away. You may reapply if your circumstances change. <laughs> oh, I love that, because thankfully, we aren't gonna, we're not going to need food stamps in the resurrection. But um, the resurrection is going to solve it all. Uh, it's going to solve it all, and here's the second principle. With the first one, way back when, uh, talks about how God's love is the is the uh, the reason that He delays. And the the last one is this: that Lazarus's resurrection previews the hope of all who believe in Jesus. Lazarus's resurrection previews the hope of all who believe in Jesus. Because, frankly, sometimes it seems like God takes way too long to to answer our requests for relief. We're constantly asking Christ for relief, aren't we? In fact, you could probably sum up most of our prayers with relief. That's what we're requesting. And the thing is, Christ could stop it all in a moment. And all the pain, all the confusion, He could stop in a moment. He could meet the need, but he doesn't. He delays. And this wonderful story reminds us of how blessed we are when the Lord loves us enough to allow pain with the results that will ultimately benefit us far beyond immediate relief. We want immediate relief, but Jesus wants to give us something even better than that. Now, when you're struggling, I can't think of anything better than immediate relief. But long term, we can look back and we can realize, you know what? I'm glad he waited because what I get long term is so far better than what I would get uh, in the short term by immediate relief. Let me ask you, how has the Lord strengthened you in the past by delaying the answer to a request? You know, we, we, uh, we could do it. Uh, John, we've got time. might be interesting to do it here at the end of our time together. But uh, answering that question just uh, with some testimonials. How has the Lord strengthened you in the past? By delaying the answer to a request. And then that would be something we could share. But here's something that only you can answer. What are you praying for right now that's getting a delayed response? That's where we need to apply it. Think about the benefit of the past, of how God delayed and benefited you somehow, and apply that to your present situation. The thing is, because Jesus waited and didn't go immediately, we know that he wants to give us something more than relief. Because Jesus wept, we know that he feels our pain. We know that he wants to strengthen us uh, as he walks with us along this path And he he walks with us, he weeps with us, but he's not walking to a place of death. (laughs) This is so great. He's walking with us to a place of resurrection. The Lazarus story shows us so much that he was taking the disciples not to see a tomb with a dead guy in it, but to watch a resurrection. And as we imagine our walk with Christ, it's the same thing, that this will not end in death. This will end in resurrection, and it will end ultimately with the glory of the Son of God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live, even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. How easy it is our father to read the words on the page. To see the emotion that's written there, to sort of put ourselves in the in the picture. And yet how very very difficult it is in our daily lives to take John chapter 11 and to use it as a blueprint For how we live out our days, how we view you and Christ, and the delays and the relief that we've been asking for for years. Honestly, Father, sometimes we just want to give up. We just want to say, you know, this just isn't working. This whole Christian life is overrated. And we just want to go to glory. We just want it to all be over. And yet, the reality is you delay. And in the meantime, you come alongside and you weep with us. Sometimes it's with the arms of a friend. Sometimes it's with a piece of music. Occasionally it's with a scripture verse or a message or a sermon or something that we hear uh, that, that couldn't be a coincidence. You come alongside and wrap your arms around us and remind us that you're weeping with us and that we are not walking this path alone. You remind us to not lose heart, because this will not end in death, that there is a purpose and a future that's bigger than immediate relief. And when that purpose comes, we will be so glad that you did it the way you did it. So strengthen us today, Father, as we continue to wait, and as we continue to trust, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.